My name is Dwight Walt. I'm one of the elders here at Calvary. I'll be reading in this morning's verse from the New American Standard, Romans chapter 10, verses 7 through 17, or 8 through 17. And if you'd like to follow along, there's a Bible in your pew or on your phone. And God's word says in Romans 10, starting in verse 7, or 8, excuse me. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they on him in whom they have not believed, how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they How will they preach unless they are sent, just as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of Christ. May God bless the reading of his word. So if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to stay there in Romans chapter 10. Today we'll... Uh, be beginning in Matthew chapter 5. So we'll actually have two different passages. We'll begin in Matthew chapter 5, and then about halfway through, we'll flip over to Romans chapter 10. Uh, Today we're in our final week of a four-week series on going out, a series on evangelism that came out of a discussion uh, from the elder board back a couple of months ago. We will begin our time in the Minor Prophets starting next week. With a funny name named Obadiah, and then Haggai, and then Malachi, and that's what we're going to be doing pretty much the rest of the fall is the Minor Prophets. But today I want to talk to you about sharing your faith with good works and good words. With good works and good words. But also as an outcome of this message series, just on a, a four weeks on going out, I, I want us just to see the world. So let me ask you the question, if you're brave enough to speak, what are some things that you're seeing right now? Confusion? Okay. Loss? Hopelessness? Good. What are you seeing physically? Immorality? But what are you seeing in this room? What else do you see physically right now? Yeah, other believers, hopefully not your phone, right? A pen, I'm looking at my sermon manuscripts, just the simple things. I mean, I'm looking at this music stand, I'm looking at you, I'm looking at my hand waving for no reason, okay? These are all the simple things that we see. You know, I'm going somewhere with that. We often in life just kind of sleepwalk, We're oftentimes just totally oblivious to the people that we actually interact with every single day. You know, we just kind of get up. If I'm the only one, we get up, we get in our car, we go to work. And then we go from work, and we stop on the way home to pick up some Bojangles chicken or whatever you eat. Um, 
and we see that person, but we really don't see him. And then we drive in our car, and then we park our car in our driveway, and then we see our neighbor, but we really don't see him. And then we go, you know, and so forth and so on. We don't really see people. One of the outcomes of this message series on, on evangelism, on going out, is I hope that we just start to notice and start to see people that we interact with every single day. From the drive through window, to our own children, to our spouse, to our neighbors, to sons and daughters, all of the people that a lot of times are just ancillary people. People that we just sleepwalk right by. We zombie mode. We just, ooh, one of these numbers, okay? As we go through life. I just want us to see the non-believers that we have. Because really, if you think about it, all people really have the same issues. People are lonely. They have marital, marital difficulties. They wonder the same basic questions in life. What is my purpose? Is there a God? Who is this Jesus guy? People that we see every single day that are just in the background all have the same issues. Uh, they are searching for answers. They're facing financial difficulty. They're physically hurting. They're relationally discouraged. And they're spiritually thirsty. I believe all people in this world are looking for something to satisfy their spiritual thirst. Let us see people in our lives. For there is a mission field before us. Behold, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Today I want to talk to you about sharing the gospel, sharing your faith with good works and good words. As a, as a Christian to a non-Christian, it's very important how we live, what we talk about, what we joke about, how we talk about our boss, how we talk about our spouse at work, how we talk about our kids. Um, because the same love that transformed our lives can transform their life. Yet, they must see him in us. The world will seek our answers if they see a difference between us and them. I saw on Facebook this week, and you can always trust things on Facebook, um, like Wikipedia and the Internet. Um, our neighbors are desperate for the true and the living hope that we have. But they're looking at your life. They're looking at how we live, what we talk about, to find the answers that they're searching for. But it's very important how we live. For example, some time ago, when I was a younger man, you know, 20s or so, I'm almost 40. That weirds me out. Okay, I'm almost there. Uh, but I remember in my 20s, I was trying to build a relationship with this non-believer and I was spending time with him, answering questions he had about Christianity, asking questions about the Bible and all this kind of good stuff. And this young man had a background in what I would call a hyper-religious cult, where perfection was attempted, and at the very least, the perception of perfection was the goal. And so he had this sense of self-righteousness, this self-righteous mentality, but he was thirsty. He realized that the answers that he looked for in his church, I say that loosely, I'm quotation marks, in his cult, I'll say it that way, couldn't satisfy his deepest spiritual needs, so it left him thirsty. So we're sitting there talking about just life, and I'm getting to know him, and just in the course of the conversation, I mentioned some non-Christian band that I listened to. 
And it wasn't something that was bad. It wasn't, you know, anything crazy or anything. But I could just tell by my mention of this secular band, his, the light went out. Just a chain. And I felt at that moment him saying, okay, if you do that, then do you offer me answers to questions I have about Jesus? Now, we don't have to be hyper-paranoid about mentioning things to non-believers in the world, but I do believe this. I believe that we have to be careful what we say, how we live, how we talk about other people, how we view the Scripture, because it makes a difference. Let them see the light in you so that they desire the same light for themselves. What we talk about, what we say about other people, what we say about Jesus, the passion we carry in our voice, what we do in difficult times, the joy we have, the hope we possess, the passion we live by, all can point others to Jesus. But if we live like Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, get off my lawn, then the light of Christ inside of us will not be as appealing to those in the world. But if we live like Christ himself, as one who loved And what we mean by love is not the definition of the world, but a love to give and not to get. As one who cared for the least of these, then the brighter we live in our life, the more they will desire the answers that we have in Christ Jesus. So the question we're answering is this one right here. How do I share the gospel to those living in darkness? How do I essentially share my faith? And there are three ways that I see, biblically speaking, that we share our faith. If you've been in my evangelism cast and you already know what my answers are going to be. Um, so there are three different ways that we share our faith with our lives. And we'll get into those. And we looked at one last week and we'll look at two this week. But to kind of catch everybody up, if you're kind of visiting here at Calvary Bible Church, we, this is our last week in a sermon series on evangelism. And we began in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 some three weeks ago and answered the question, you know, why should I? Why should I bother to share my faith, the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Why should I care? Well, for three reasons. Um, Number one, because God wants us to, which, you know, anyways, we won't go down that rabbit hole. Uh, But really, what I pointed out, number two, is because of our identity, that we are his witnesses. What is a witness's purpose? A witness's purpose is to tell the truth when the moment presents itself. We're going to look at a couple of different other identity things today in Matthew chapter 5. So number one is because of our identity and because we have received power, dunamis, power to overcome fear, power to say the right words, and power to know what to say and when to say and the courage to overcome. Then week number two, we talked about why do people resist the gospel? Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4. That the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. That people resist the gospel. I mean, this, this gift of eternal life, of abundant life here on earth. They resist it because of the God of this world, spiritual blindness, and because of personal sin. And as we talked about last week, how do we share our faith? Part one is by our love. John thirteen thirty five. By this, what? All men will know that you're my disciples if you, what, have love for one another. So how do we share the gospel, number one, with our love? And we define that out of John chapter 15, verse 12, that greater love that no one has is this, that they would lay down his life for his friend. So we define love, not of the world, but love of Christ is to give at your detriment for their benefit. So how do we share the gospel with our love? That's catching everybody up. Okay. All right. 
And then today we share the gospel with our life, with our life. If you have our notes, that's the first blank, I believe, in the notes. We share the gospel with our life. And so with that in mind, come to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we were going to be to talk about sharing the gospel with our life. And so Matthew chapter 5, if you're familiar with this passage, uh, you should probably have heard this passage before. I would hope that you would see it with fresh eyes. Just hang in there with me, okay? Um, but Matthew chapter 5 comes in the middle of a section of Scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And if you're familiar with this passage, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about a, a bunch of different things. But they're all related to one particular person and one particular thing. Those who inherit the kingdom of God are those who are followers of Jesus Christ. So all of the commands that I see in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 are all pointed to people that desire to follow the Lord. I.e., hopefully, us in this room. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 says this, You are the salt of the earth. What is in the world does that mean? But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. If you notice here, Jesus begins in verse 13 with an identity. You are. Okay, in the original language, this is in the position of emphasis. If I could put it in English, it would be bold, underlined, italics. In the original language, he's saying, you you who inherit the kingdom of God, you who are following me, you are, and notice that word are, it's an equative sentence. It doesn't say that you should be or that you can be. It's you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? What's the message here? That if you aren't salty, we become a floppy disk, Okay. Once having a purpose containing information, but completely irrelevant, okay? If you have a floppy disk, okay, holding on to the past. Moving on. So, Jesus, if I offended you, I'm sorry. Um, um, but what does he mean by you are the salt of the earth? There's a couple of different meanings that people have. There, there's a fist fight among scholars what that phrase actually means. Some scholars believe that you are the salt of the earth, meaning that you preserve the world. Don't get it. Some say that salt here is to add flavoring, add flavoring of the gospel to the world. Okay. Some say being salt of the earth means you destroy wickedness. I don't know what that one means. Um, but in my opinion, I believe my, my uh, mentor here at Calvary Bible Church had this particular opinion, but you are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? That we are to create thirst for the things of God. That you are the salt of the earth. Purpose to create thirst for the things of God. God desires to use you to communicate the gospel to the world. You and all of your flaws, your ingrown toenails and everything. The Lord desires to use you, but we must create thirst for the things of God. But what, how do we do that? How do we create thirst for the things of God? Hold that thought. Verse 14, second piece of identity. You're salt of the earth, purpose to create thirst for the things of God among those who are living in darkness. 
Verse 14, you are, this is the second piece of our identity, you are the light of the world. Now notice that word world, we'll talk about it in just a minute. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. So we are the salt of the earth, earth purpose to create thirst for the things of God, and that we are the light of the world. Now we have to define what this light means, the Greek word phos. And there's three things that the Bible calls light that this could possibly maybe be. Okay. Figuratively, the Bible calls that the word of God is light itself. Oh, your word is a what lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. Number two, a light could be Christ himself. John chapter 1, 7 through 9. But the, the light that I see here comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It is the light of the gospel. And again, here in verse 14, it is an equative sentence. You are, not you should be or you can be, you are the salt of the earth, purpose to create thirst, and you are the light of the world. World, world there is the Greek word cosmos. It can mean world, like the earth. It can mean the universe. But the most descriptive form is it describes the darkness of fallen mankind and how the world, the universe has been fallen or tarnished or depraved by sin. That's, in my opinion, what he is referring to. And what does it say? That we are the light. What I mean by that is that we are the gospel torch bearers. That we are to take the light of the gospel to all those living in darkness throughout the world. That we have a purpose to serve. I mean, I want you to think about something real quick. I'm not going to go down far, far on this rabbit trail. But, you know, God desire, desires to use you to share the gospel. Could God manifest himself in angelic form or whatever form and share the gospel himself with all those living in darkness? Yeah. Why do I get that? Paul on the road to Damascus. Jesus appears before him. But God desires to use you to create thirst and to shine the light of the gospel. How many of you have ever been camping before? Am I no? Am I camping? Okay. All right. Um, then you know it's a great time of being slightly uncomfortable. Anybody relate to that one? Okay. Um, but how many of you have ever, you know, You've been camping, it's dark at night, you can't see anything because you're camping. And, um, and, and you need to go to the bathroom, okay, TMI. Okay, and then you and your friends need to go. So then, but you're short a flashlight. So then what do you do? You walk along the path and you have this one little flashlight and all of you huddle together and you walk along the path. That's the way I see our lives. That the light, the flashlight that we have is the gospel message, and we are to shine it on the path of God, pointing people to Him. And as we shine the light, as we create thirst for the things of God, people should be attracted to that light because there's something different about it. So we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We are gospel torchbearers to those living in darkness. And what I love about verse 13 and verse 14, you know, not only does it not say you should or you can, but it says that you are. 
In other words, what? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're a follower, you can't help yourself. You are the light of the world, standing out among the darkness. You can't hide. But what happens is, is when people in the world see us and we try to blend to the darkness and the depravedness of the world itself, then what are they going to say? There's something different about that person, but he wants to look just like I do. So therefore, I don't know if he has anything for me. We must stand out. It's part of our nature. If we hide our faith, then we are as nonsensical as a candle under a basket. It doesn't serve its purpose. In fact, a candle under a basket is counterintuitive and counterproductive. Verse 16, let your light shine before men. And this word, let your light, the gospel message, the word shine here means to beam or to radiate. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. How do we shine the light of the gospel? We do it with our love. By this, all men would know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, but also with our life, with our good works. And notice here that they may see. Now, what does that mean? It means that you should do good works In front of people where they can see it. Not in a narcissistic way. Okay? Like, look at me. That's violating John chapter 13, verse 35. But in a way that they can see the good works that you do and say, wait. There's there's something different. When I hang around them, I have a thirst for the things of God. When I hang around them, that there is just a light that is beaming within them. And when I hang around them, that they're kind. And they're serving people, and they love people, and they're meeting practical needs. So how do we shine our light with our life, with our good works before men? And then notice the results. And glorify your Father who is in heaven, that if we do good works, if we do good deeds, and people can see that. I'm not saying go do it on Facebook where the whole world can, you can get the applause of the world. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if you see a neighbor in need, and they're a non-believer, Go serve them and care for them. They'll notice. Wait a second. They're a little bit different. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. All right. So we share the gospel with our love and our life. But what's missing? What's the thing that's missing? We have to have one more. Um. In public speaking in seminary, they say in communication that 90% of what you actually communicate are not the words that come out of your mouth. 90% of what you communicate is how you, your nonverbal communication and your tone. But you still have to say words. I think it's the same with us, that long before... We ever share the gospel with our children or with our spouse, they're going to be looking at our life and our love to determine whether they want to believe in the gospel that we're about to present to them. You know, if you sit down with your child, adult child, and you sit there and you spill out the gospel, you talk about how you should repent of your sin, believe in Jesus as Lord of your life, and believe that he was raised from the dead. When you sit down with your adult child, what's the first thing, even implicitly, that they're going to be thinking about? They're going to think about their childhood, okay? How you treated them, how you treated other people. Do they really have the light of Christ within them? 
but we still must speak. So how, what do we say? We share the gospel with our love, with our life, and with our lingo. I alliterated here. You should all be proud of me. No, this is preacher school right here. So with our love, our life, and then what we say. But I want to say something before we really get into lingo. Um, some of us have been doing this, these two for years, and we've been doing a really good job. We've been planting the gospel seeds, planting the thought of Jesus Christ, teaching the gospel, teaching the Bible to our children, showing love and affection, performing good works. Some of us have been doing this for years. And I'm just encourage you is just to be patient. Sometimes it takes moments for people to come to Christ. Sometimes it takes days. Sometimes it takes months. Sometimes it takes years. Be patient. And when the moment arises, when the Holy Spirit prompts you to speak like he did to Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, when he gives you the prompting to speak, speak. Don't let the fear that grips your stomach deter you from sharing the life-giving message of the gospel. But what do we say? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 is a very famous passage. Romans 10 is like uh, the Iwana chapter, okay? It's just, you know, the Iwana verses all in that. Um, what do we say? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And you notice here, what is the requirement for salvation? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. The word confess is used 26 times in the New Testament, and it means to agree. It means to agree with God. It's also used in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I think what Paul is saying, if you confess, if you acknowledge to God, if you see the same thing as him, you confess your sin, I think that's what Paul is really saying, confess your mouth, Jesus as Lord. In order to make Jesus Lord of our life, what must we do to get off? The throne we must take our sin and ourselves off of the throne. So if we confess our sin and make Jesus Lord of our life and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What do we say? Two things. Repent and believe. Repent. Recognizing your sin, acknowledging the mistakes that you have made for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Repent Make Jesus Lord of your life and believe that God raised him from the dead. I mean, think about this phrase right here. What's implied? In order to raise somebody from the dead, what must you do first? You must die. So in this one phrase, you have both the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. So we must confess our sin. And then number two, we must believe in what? That Jesus died for our sins. He paid it in full and that he rose again and you will be saved. 90% of what we communicate in life is not the words we, that come out of our mouth, but we have to speak. Unless we speak, our children may not have, know how to come to Christ. Unless we speak, our neighbors will never come to Christ. Unless we speak, our family members will not ever know how to receive rivers of living water. If, unless we speak, our coworkers will not know how to be born again. We must speak. And what do we say? Repent and believe. That, I think sometimes, and as I looked in the video this morning, we're doing a personal evangelism. I think sometimes, and as he says, we don't 
think we know enough. We don't know what to say when we have the opportunity to present the gospel. And as he would say, I think we know too much. It's not that we don't know enough. We probably know too much. I think we overcomplicate things. Can I just, you might agree, just do this. And if you're not doing this, I'll think you're sleeping. Okay, it's cool. Um, we think we probably know too much that the gospel is simpler than what we perceive it to be. We repent, acknowledging, confessing our sin, agreeing with God, making him Lord of our life, and we believe that Jesus died and he rose again. That's what Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says. But then notice the end of Romans 10. It says this. With your lingo, repent and believe. How will then, will they call on him and whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him and whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. In other words, what's the whole point of this? That we have to go. How will people actually come to Christ if we don't actually go and tell them? To repent and believe. Friends, we have power by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us three powerful things. Gives us words to say, Mark 13. It prompts us to speak, Acts chapter 8. And helps us overcome fear to speak. Friends, if we have somebody in our life that's far from God, let us pray that the mind of the unbelieving, that the veil of the enemy would be lifted and that they would confess their sin and trust in Jesus as Lord of their life. Friends, let us live lives that create thirst for the things of God by being his gospel torchbearers. And friends, when the moment comes for us to say something and you know it when you feel a little bit of conviction, anybody else know that feeling? Ever since doing this sermon series, I've been feeling it all the time. Um, there's just this feeling, from I feel like from the Holy Spirit, that's saying, speak, 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 speak. But the question is, is this, is so what? How do we apply it to our life? I'm just going to kind of sum this whole sermon series up with a few questions. They're on the back of your note sheet if you want to track along with me. Number one, I've asked this question every single week. Who are you getting to know that may not follow Christ? Who are you getting to know that may not follow Christ? Who is someone in your life that is a non-believer? How are you building relationships with them to share the gospel to them? You are the salt of the earth, purpose to create thirst. You are the light of the world, taking the gospel torch and the light that it has to those living in darkness. Number two, who are you? Who are you getting to know? Who are you? If you're a follower in Jesus Christ, you have a new identity. And there's a whole bunch. That you are a new creation. You're a child of God. An heir of Christ. But here in Acts 1.8 and in Matthew chapter 5, you are his witness, purpose to tell the truth. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Who are you? Question number three is, what is causing the person that you're getting to know, uh, what is causing them to resist the gospel? What is the sin in their life? Is there a veil of spiritual darkness? Number four is this, how will you reach them? That person, okay, pause. Picture that person in your mind. Who is someone you're getting to know that may not follow Christ? How can you show them love? How can you do good works before them that they may see it 
and you not look like a narcissist, okay, how will you speak, repent, and believe? Sometimes it takes minutes for somebody to come to Christ. Sometimes it takes hours, months, and sometimes years. Before I close, I'm going to close with a thought. But I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. I want you to catch this part. Friends, we have never had a more difficult time to overcome the influence of the world. But we have never had a greater opportunity either. Think about it. Right now, today, in the middle of service, don't do this, but in the middle of service, you can call anyone in the world that, yes, the world continues to be darkened by the depravity and influence of the enemy and of sin, but right where you are today, you have never had a bigger opportunity to share the gospel. You can call, text, email, Facebook message, anybody in the world like that. You can share the gospel with your high school friend that you just, back in high school, man, you thought they were close and you just, man, you never got an opportunity. You can share the gospel with your child, with your son that lives on the other side of the world or on the other side of the country right now. You can reach a friend from your young adult years and share the gospel with them. You can Facebook message anyone. Right now, you interact with more people on a daily basis probably in the, than in the history of the world. If you go eat out a lot, okay, guess what you get to do? You get to interact with people all the time. Friends, we have never had a more um, further culture from the truth of God's word, but we've also never had a bigger opportunity to share, to tell people, to repent to confess their sin, to make Jesus as Lord and believe in their heart. The world is moving further away from the truth of God's world, but this also will leave people thirsty, searching for what we have, for the rivers of living water. As a guy said in our evangelism video today, always share Jesus and sometimes use words. Uh, before we close today, um, if you are unsure of where you are with Jesus, if you don't know, if you have a relationship with God, maybe you've gone to church for a really long time, but you've never been born again, then you've heard the message of the gospel today in its most tiniest nutshell, to repent of your sin, believe in Jesus as Lord of your life, and believe that Jesus died for your sins and was risen again, that if you believe in him, that you shall be saved. And to all believers in this room, to everyone in here that claims the cross of Christ, see, look, look at the people you see on a daily basis, all of those people in the background, that you can share the light of Christ with your love, with your life, and then with what you say. Behold, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for the, the message of the gospel. And, and you've given us 
not only a new identity as, as witnesses, salt, and light, but you give it as a purpose to serve, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. What a privilege that is to see people, uh, to use these broken vessels, these people that are flawed, to bring people into eternal life. What a privilege and honor it is. And Lord, I pray that we would just be bold, that we would, that we would overcome the fear that grips our mind and our stomach, and that when the Holy Spirit prompts us to speak, like he did to Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, that we would speak, and that we would share the gospel uh, with boldness. And thank you for today. I thank you that we get to celebrate a baptism, and I just thank you for all my friends that are here this morning. In Jesus' name.